you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Uh, I want to say, and I said it this morning, I appreciate the song before the lesson, although uh, it was not tied in any way. Uh, he didn't know on, uh, ahead of time that I would have liked that song or anything, but the Holy Spirit works that way sometimes. But the idea of standing in awe of God, standing in awe of God, that's been the whole purpose of this series of lessons we've done on the names of God. So that, you know, it is so easy, it is so easy for God to become so comfortable. For God to be this God that we, we call on when we need something, but when things are going well and things are going great, you know, I really don't need God, but he's there for me if, if I'm having a struggle or he's there for me if I get in trouble. And we, we, we lose this sense of awe of God. We lose this sense of understanding that he really is mighty and all-powerful and, and all-knowing and, and omnipotent. I mean, there are so many attributes of God that we really could just be here all day today and all day tomorrow if we wanted to sit and try to list those things. So the whole purpose of this series, though, on the names of God has been to maybe get more personal with these aspects of God, to know God's character a little bit more. And maybe the greater you know God, the more intimate you become with God, the, the, the more substance that there's going to be in your relationship with God. And that is my hope and that is my prayer. It really all goes back to, I think above everything else, the first command of, of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I want to be the most important thing in your life. I want to be the thing that above everything else you look to, you, you run to. I want to be that for you in your life. And I hope that he is. And if he's not, I hope that something that we say today or something that we've said or something that we've sung will encourage you to make God that important in your life to where there's nothing else more important than he is. As we think about today's lesson, today we, we talk about the name Jehovah Shammah, meaning the Lord is there. And, and that is the last phrase that was used in our passage, in our um, scripture reading this morning. The Lord is there. That is the name that, that is used, Jehovah Shammah. Shammah means there. Now, the word there is, is a word that can have um, very insignificant meaning. But it could also have great importance of a meaning, correct? You know, I mean, hey, we're going to go over there. We use it in a very, um, a very open and just kind of casual way. But if your wife looks at you and says, hey, honey, will you set this over there? And you don't set that in the there that she's talking about. All of a sudden, that little word maybe carries a little more weight, becomes a little more important. You know, so the word there can be can be insignificant, but it could be greatly significant as well. But when we think about the idea of God being there, to me, it carries the idea that it means that He is present, that He is personal. And that he can be experienced. Listen to that again. He is present, he is personal, and he can be experienced. So let me ask you this question. In your own life, in your own walk, have you ever truly had the experience of God's presence? Do you on a regular basis experience the closeness of God? I think that's an important question. 
Because I think it's easy for us to keep God at a distance. Like I said as we began, it's easy to keep him at that distance and say, okay, you know what? I've got a religion of God. I'm all about going and doing the church thing and meeting God in the building. But when I walk out the door, that's my life. That's the things I want. I've had my God time, but now the rest of this is my time. But Jehovah Shammah is a God who is there, is a God who wants to be personal. He is a God that wants to have very intimate interaction with you. He's not some God that just sits like a genie in a lamp and you, you rub the lamp when you need some great blessing in your life. God shows up and he knocks on your door and he knocks on your door because he wants you. He wants you. He wants that relationship. Let's kind of zoom in a little bit, though, in our, in our text today and, and kind of set the stage for why, why is Ezekiel having this, um, this vision from God? Because that's what's happening from the beginning of our text through the rest of the story here today. Uh, Ezekiel is in the middle of a, of a vision from God. And the reason that Ezekiel is having this vision of God is because Ezekiel is in captivity. He's a slave, if you will, for lack of better words, to the uh, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And so God's trying to give him some encouragement to say, hey, look, there's going to come a time, there's going to come a time when you're going to be back in Jerusalem and there's going to be this great city again and the temple is going to be there. And he said, I want you to know that this city is not going to be called Jerusalem anymore. It's going to be called the Lord is there. The Lord is present. The Lord is personable. The Lord is experienced. You know, when you think about the people of Israel, they had a very different concept of God being there, I believe, than we do. Uh, I mean, you go, you go back in, in Genesis chapter 1, through the first, chap, first few chapters, there's a very personal relationship with God that Adam and Eve had. It's a relationship uh, that is, you know, like we have with each other. They get to walk through the garden with God. They get to experience that intimacy and in a, in a personal face-to-face way and that security of that relationship in a very personal face-to-face way. But at the, the moment of sin, that God is there in that sense drastically changed. And it's not until the people of Israel kind of come onto the scene and the tabernacle is built that God really has, if you, you will, a, a, a place to have a personal relationship with man again. And through the tabernacle and through the temple in the innermost part, the innermost sanctum, the holy of holies, there was a place where God could dwell. There was a place where God was there. And you see the people of Israel, especially in Jerusalem, they could walk through the city of Jerusalem and up on the temple mound, they could look and they could see this beautiful temple. And they could look at that place and they could go, God is right there. That is where God lives. That is God's house. The presence of God is dwelling in that place. But that can also that can also become very common. It would have been easy for them to walk through the city and know that the temple up there and know that God is up there and it just become routine, just like it can with us to know that the Spirit of God lives within us. We'll talk about this a little more in depth here in a minute, but the Spirit of God lives within us. Okay, he's always been there. I'm used to him by now. I've maybe quenched him a little bit and he's not as important as he used to be. But you see that attitude of not as important or maybe not caring the same weight or losing its awe 
came into an effect that really caused problems for the people of Israel. Really caused problems for the people of Israel. In chapter 44 of our, of our book of Ezekiel, starting in verse 4, God says, hey, this is some of the problems. This is some of the problems. He says, Then the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord, and I fell face down. The Lord said to me, Son of man, look carefully, listen closely, and give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations and instructions regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance of the temple and to the exits of the sanctuary. Say to rebellious Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, enough of your detestable practices. People of Israel, in addition to all your other detestable practices, you brought foreigners uncircumcising the heart and flesh into my sanctuary, describing my temple or I'm sorry, desecrating my temple, while you offered me food, fat, and blood, and you broke my covenant. Instead of carrying on your duties in regard to my holy things, you put others in charge of my sanctuary. So you've got this group of people that really, these three things happen. Number one, they lost the wonder and majesty of God. God became routine. Oh, there's God's over there. God's over there. He's over there, but he's not over here. He's up there, but he's not involved in my life. He's over there, but he's not important in my family and in my marriage and in my relationship with my kids. He's just over there. And they had lost that allness of God. They had bought into the lie of comparison. As you read through the story of the people of Israel, through the story of the prophets, you see that they had begun to think that, hey, we're God's people. We're so much better than everybody else. It doesn't matter what we do or how we live. As long as we're God's chosen people, we're okay. We're better than these pagans, even though we're living the same type of life that they are. God says, no, that doesn't work either. Because you're either on my side or you're not. You either live for me or you don't. You either love me and keep my commands, or you don't. And when you live on the side of don't, you live on the side of being separated from God. And in the people of Israel's place, what that meant is here in captivity, they're separated from their homes. They're separated from their temple. They're separated from the presence of their God who used to live over there. And then they believe their outward religion was the most important. As long as they got the tradition right as long as they got the symbolism right, as long as it looked good, as long as everybody was impressed, as long as things were decent and in order is all that mattered. It was more about the religion than the relationship. And we have to be careful about all of these things, that if we're not careful, we fall into the same trap. We fall into the same ruts. We fall into the same direction as the people of Israel. And just like the people of Israel, if we're not careful will be separated from God. But God comes in and he's having this vision with Ezekiel and he's saying, look, I'm telling you there's hope. That was the whole purpose of the vision. There's hope that there's going to come a time where you're no longer separated from me. There's going to come a time where we're going to reinstate all these things that you've lost and the place in Israel, the place in Judah, the place of, of worship, the temple is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be a wonderful place. And he says it's going to be called the Lord is there. God is there. This is where I am present. So it was a very encouraging kind of vision and name of God. 
And so that brings us to the question, well, what does all of that have to do with us? And I think that's a, an important question to ask. What does all of this have to do with us? Well, I believe the same God that loved the people of Israel loves us. I believe the same God that wanted the people of Israel to have a relationship with him wants Christians to have a relationship with him today. And he has gone to extraordinary measures to make sure that we have that avenue to be saved and to have that relationship. And so what does that mean for us? Let's look at the biblical three points of a sermon, right? Three points of a sermon here. That's the, my, my, new mem, uh, my new motto is three points and a poem, right? Three points and a poem. Let's go with this, God with us. That's the first thing that I want you to think about this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through, <coughs> 22 through 23, a verse that you'll, you'll, you'll remember as we get to the end of it. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God, what? With us. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace. One author puts it this way, and I believe this is an amazing picture that's painted with words. It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who has sustained the world with a word chose to be dependent on the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus, holiness sleeping in a wound, the creator of life being created. God came near. Knowing our helpless situation, knowing our ability to turn even the best things upside down and become sinful. Because on our own merits, that's what we will do. We'll become a sinful people. Jesus stepped out of eternity and stepped into his creation and humbled himself and became a servant. He became flesh so that he could die on the cross so that we would have a way of salvation. God came near. God is with us. The next thing I want you to think about, though, is not just that God is with us, but God is in us. It doesn't start and stop with just him being here. We have, to have, we have to have him. We have to want to be in that relationship. We have to participate and, and really join together. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Once God enters the doors of salvation, once we have been baptized and we are saved and we welcome him into that relationship, he takes up residence with us and we are now his temple. We are now the home of his spirit within us. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 through 20 and then 26 through 27 says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Then he goes on, he says, The mystery that has been kept, hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the, to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you understand the importance of the Holy Spirit living within you? Do you understand what that means? It means that wherever you go, 
God is there. Whatever you're a part of, God is a part of it with you. Good, bad, ugly. And Paul talks about all that in 1 Corinthians. But I want you to know that it's so important to understand that God dwells in you. That you carry with him, you carry him with you everywhere you go. And that's done for a very specific purpose for our last idea here that God is seen through us. So God is with us. God is in us so that God can be seen through us. Here's a statement that I want you to let sink in a little bit that may be contradictory to anything you've ever been taught. But we weren't saved just so we wouldn't go to hell. Think about that. How many times have we said that? You need to be saved. You need to be baptized so you won't what? Go to hell. But you know, I don't think Scripture teaches that. We are saved so that we can have an intimate relationship with God. That's why we're saved. Now, one of the benefits of that intimate relationship is what? The lack of or, or the absence of, of that direction of hell. It means I've put myself in this direction of God in that relationship. See, if, if, if I want to be baptized just so I can have fire insurance, just I'm going to be baptized so I won't go to hell, but there's not going to be an emphasis on my relationship with God, you find yourself in the same situation as the people of Israel in the book of Ezekiel. They're separated from God. And you can be baptized and still go to hell if you don't have the relationship with God. And so it's important for us to remember that the purpose of our salvation is not to just keep us from going in this direction, but it is so that we can have a relationship with God. It is so that we can commune with him. It is so we can serve him, so that we can be salt and light and fishers of men, so that we can exist to accomplish our master's mission. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This means that we're not here, we're not here to just make ourselves happy. We're not here just so people can see us. We are here to spread the word of God. We are here so that when people look at us, when people see us, when people watch us, they don't see us. They don't see Matthew. They don't see you as you live your life and you live your life through good deeds and through good works. Who is it that they see? They see God. They see Christ. He is there to live through us. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4 says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We live so that others can see Christ through us. Jehovah Shema. In meeting Jehovah Shema, we find the God who is there, who is present in our lives so that we might know him, so that we might grow with him, and so that we can show him to others. And I hope in your own way that you make those steps of growth in your own life to know the Lord who is there. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you.
for being a God that is ever-present in our life, who is there for us, who is there with us, who is there beside us and within us, God. We pray for your strength and your guidance in our life, God. We pray that we pay attention to you and not leave you on the peripherals of our life, not having you there just for when we're in trouble, just to keep us out of hell, God, but to bring a depth of glory and holiness to our life that's only accomplished by that relationship with you. Be with us, forgive us, protect us, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.